Good morning, Valley family. Well, we are in the season finale of our series. I have the last message here. But before I jump in, I just want to ask everybody something. Who here does the one word? You know, at the start of the year when you pick your one word, I know Greg and I have been doing it probably for about 10 years maybe at least. But this year between Christmas and New Year's, uh, I was starting to think about my one word. And for the first time, it just like it popped into my head and literally just sank into my heart. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it. I didn't have to pray about it long or anything. It was like, boo, it was there. And the word is emboldened, emboldened. And I remember getting the word like, oh God, that's good. That is really, really good. And I looked it up in the dictionary and it said to give someone the courage or confidence to do something or to behave in a certain way. And I remember thinking, wow, that's, that's 2022, it's gonna be good. I am gonna embolden, as a coach, our small group leaders, I am going to embolden our mentors that we have here at Valley. I am gonna use this, I'm gonna embolden the ladies at Unshattered when I go and give a devotional to them monthly. And I'm thinking, this is good, God, this is good. You picked a good one for me. Um, and then it was a couple weeks, about a week later, I remember just in my quiet time, the Lord just kind of feeling a prompting to look up the definition again. So I went back to Webster's, pulled it up again, and there was a second one that I missed before, and it was this, implies the giving of courage sufficient to overcome timidity or reluctance, to which I said, oh, snap. As I felt God just tell me, this verse is for you. I am an emboldened you, you who tends to be reluctant. And so I was just like, oh my gosh, God, this word is really for me. Not just what I can give to other people, but for me. And I started looking even at Greg's schedule, realizing that he was going to be doing a men's meeting coming up here soon, getting his revelation class ready, and just there's a lot going on. And so first time ever, I offered, I said, hey, baby, you know, I, I'm, let me take a look at some of these in this series, and maybe I can help you do one, to which his draw just kind of dropped, because I don't ever, just to say, I never volunteer. Always reluctantly say, okay, if you need me to. So this was new for Susie. Greg was like, who are you, and what have you done with my wife? But I really feel like God said, I want you to do this. I'm going to embolden you to overcome your reluctance. So I'm like, yes, Lord. And who would have thought, because God in his infinite knowledge would know that my husband would be in no condition to give a message this week with the passing of his father, that God laid it on my heart to step in and to give this word this morning. And so that is why you see exhibit A while I'm here. So we're going to just jump into our series. And like I said, we're wrapping up this challenging series. It's challenging because we're starting to look at some of these toxic words that are coming out of our mouth and really finding out that it's coming out of our hearts. And that's where the deeper problem is. Our first week, we learned that when we trash talk, it really reveals the anger that's in our hearts. And I don't know about you, that was a hard one to hear. This, and then the next week we talked about that when we gossip, it really is revealing the jealousy that's in our heart. And then last week, that when we are cynical of others, it really reveals a wound that's in our own heart. And we've been talking about our key verse in this whole series is found in Ephesians 4.29. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything that you say be good and be helpful so that your words will be encouragement to those who hear them. That's been our text for this whole series. And the big idea is that our words reveal our heart. 
Our words reveal our heart. And I think that's one of the things I know I've been seeing and you've probably been seeing as well, is that really our words, our heart is deciding the course and the quality of our heart. Our heart is deciding the course and the quality of our life. Let me say it that way. If it's in our heart, it's coming out of our mouth and it's affecting the quality of our life. And I think coming to grips with that in this series has been very challenging. And that's why in Proverbs 4.23, it says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it comes all the issues of life. And so God tells us in his word to guard it, guard it, because that's where all, all the wellspring of life comes from. And so today we're going to talk about whatever. And yes, I can relate to it a little bit. If I'm honest, totally honest, that's why I was like, I'll do the last one. Um, but that whatever attitude comes from a little deeper place in our heart that we just want to look at today. And so before we get started, I want to warm everybody up. And on the count of three, I would like you to turn to your neighbor. And with the most attitude that you can find, I, no hands on hips, most attitude, just say whatever. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Whatever. Yeah, some of you got into it a little too much, a little too much. So, all right. Now that you're warmed up, let's, let's jump in. There have been five words that I've heard people tell me in the last 22 months. Five words that I've said at times. Five words that I've heard people say over coffee or as I'm praying for people after the service, they'll come up. And this is what it is. The hits just keep coming. And I think if we're honest, there's many of us in this last 22 months of dealing with COVID, dealing with things in our nation, just dealing with life. It just feels like the hits just keep coming. And for some, you might feel, I'm barely keeping my head above water. And truth be told, I think if we're all honest, in these 22 months, we have felt a bit like a rubber band. I have this beautiful little purple rubber band, a rubber band that we felt we've been stretched so tightly that we feel like at times we might just snap. We are stretched emotionally. We've been stretched financially. We've been stretched physically, mentally. It's getting out there like so taut. Quarantine, Shh. remote learning, Shh. work from home, Shh. mandates, Shh. vax, no vax, Shh. it gets so tight. Cost of living, Shh. crime is up, Shh. and the hits just keep on coming. I think for some of us, if we're honest, if we hear the word mandatory, one more time, we might just have to hit somebody. I mean, it's gotten to like that place. That we're so stretched and that this attitude that comes out in our words because it's in our heart is whatever. We've had it. We're like maxed out. We're totally stressed. But whatever is really an apathetic attitude toward another person because it comes out to the people in our world. And apathy is really a dangerous place to be because it's a state of being callous. It's a state of hard-heartedness that's starting to build up in our heart if we're not careful. Webster's defines, Webster defines apathy as the lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. And if we aren't careful, 
this whatever attitude is just something that is going to impact our lives in so many different ways because we just aren't wanting to engage. We just don't want to put forth the effort anymore. And so our verse for today is found in the message translation, and it is this. Patient persistence pierces through indifference, but gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. You know, it's an interesting phrase there. It kind of speaks of that first phrase. It kind of speaks of the danger that comes with that whatever attitude. It's indifference. We're building up indifference and reflects that apathy is reflected in our lives. You know, this attitude leaks, and that's the shame of it, is that it leaks into other relationships in our lives. We can see it leak into our marriage. You will never be the man of my dreams, so why do I even bother? If a wife feels that in her heart, it is hardening over, and it is so dangerous. Or maybe with your kids, you you are my last nerve, whatever. It's just something inside that's shutting down and getting hard. Maybe in our friendships, it's like, you know what? Mm, I don't have time. I do not have time for this. I'm boxing you out. I'm pulling up the ladder. Please leave me alone. Maybe it's with our extended family. I know I could help, but I really don't feel compelled to step in and help in this situation. Or maybe it's on the job. I am just doing the bare minimums, and then I am out of here. You see, when we say whatever to the people in our lives, what we're actually saying is, I am not interested. Or maybe we're saying, I don't care what's going on with you. I am not getting involved. I am, and this is us through COVID, if we're honest, I am too tired to take the action that is needed for me. So I'm, I'm done. I'm checking out. Whatever. I think Helen Keller had it right when she said in her quote, we have found a cure for most evils, but we have found no remedy for the worst of all of them. The apathy of human beings. The apathy of human beings. When this attitude creeps in, and it comes in ever so slowly, as we've seen even like in the last 22 months, if we just take stock of our heart, it has crept in there. And we throw shade on the people that we love the most. It leads us to a place where really we're kind of just a bystander in our relationships. And we don't want to put forth effort and we just don't want to invest anymore. But the problem is when we say whatever, I know I say it pretty good, don't I? Whatever, when we say that, we are isolating ourselves from the very thing that God says you need, people and relationships. We need people in relationships to have that purpose in our lives. And when you say whatever to the people in your life, those people lose and you lose. And so God wants us to press through this whatever attitude that we may have. Now, there's an interesting verse that I have just been pondering on a lot over the last couple of years, and it's found in Matthew 24, Matthew 24. And as I read it, just see if it sounds familiar for what we're seeing in our world today. Matthew 24. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased. Hello. 
the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. And then the end will come. I don't know about you, but if that doesn't sound like where we are in history, I don't know. Many falling away from the faith, betraying one another, hating one another, lawlessness being increased. Who would have thought smash and grabs? Who would have thought that was like a normal thing? Criminals getting released. You scratch your head and you're like, what did I wake up? What reality did I wake up in? Where what used to be right is now wrong. And now what's wrong is now right. Lawlessness is increased. And the problem is, is that the love of many is growing cold. Is that your heart today, Valley family? Has your heart grown cold? Because let's face it. We live in a world that is filled with hard-hearted people who cause division and pain really wherever they go. And maybe they're in your own extended family. But God is wanting his people who are called by his name and that are willing to go against just saying something that hurts and instead speaking words of life and words of healing. Because I really believe, Valley family, that God is giving us a wake-up call, a wake-up call to see the hardening of our hearts in this hour of history that we are living in. Because people and relationships, they matter to God, and they should matter to us. And so I want to just take a few minutes and just kind of look at some red flags maybe that we might have in our hearts of thinking, oh my goodness, that's a red flag. I might have a whatever attitude. And the first of those is skepticism. That's a big one, skepticism. If you have become highly skeptical of things that are happening in our world, an attitude of doubting the truth of something, suspicious, you might be on the path for being apathetic. And that's because you can be so obsessed in just trying to prove what it is you're skeptical about that you have forgotten about the people in your world and in your family that need you. They need you dialed in. They don't need you agitated. They need you to be present, to love, and to speak life into their lives. And if you say the phrase, it is what it is, especially in a relationship, it's a definite red flag that the whatever attitude has come in as skepticism. Another one is overstimulation. Overstimulation, and this is so huge. Greg refers to this a lot because with our news feeds, 24-hour news coverage, we are constantly bombarded with pretty horrific things that are going on in our country and our world. And because it just keeps coming and we just take it and take it and take it and take it and never really ponder it, we just become numb inside. It, like it doesn't move us anymore. And we find it difficult to really care the way Jesus said to care. It's another GoFundMe to cover, you know, maybe a cancer treatment, or it's another, oh, another school shooting, or yeah, another, goal, another hurricane in the Gulf Coast. You know, oh, the death counts up with COVID. It's like, oh, yeah, Afghanistan, people in Afghanistan are starving, whatever. What, it's just like we just get so desensitized to the human suffering in our world that we don't get moved anymore. And over time, we can just become immune to things that really should move us. 
ding, red flag, overstimulation. Another red flag is, I don't want to get involved. Don't want to get involved. You know, this really is not my place. Uh, I'm not going to say anything right now. Or maybe something isn't good and healthy in my family or with my relatives, but I am not stepping into that space. We forget that God wants you and I to bring the essence of Jesus into the space that we occupy. That he gives us as his followers wisdom and, and perspective that we can be speaking into things if we had the effort to step in and speak. Don't want to get involved is certainly a red flag that we need to watch out for. Another red flag is good as it gets mentality. It's as good as it's going to get. It's never going to change. So we kind of coast. We coast in our relationships. And how many know whether you're on a skateboard or whether you're in a car, if you're coasting, that thing is eventually going to come to a stop. And that's what happens in relationships. We take the foot off the gas. We stop investing in, thing, in, in relationships. And sooner or later, that relationship is going to wither, and then it's going to die because we stop working. We stopped investing. We just don't care anymore. We become numb, and we're just on autopilot. Red flag, good as it gets mentality. Another red flag is taking things for granted. And we see this a lot in marriage where apathy just takes a toll. And the more you don't invest, the more the life of that marriage just shrivels and your heart hardens. Everything becomes a duty. Ah, I just don't feel anymore. We focus on the negative over it whatever. It comes out in our expressions. You just are speaking that without any words. It's just coming in, in, in your, your language that you're speaking. And a lot of times in marriage, you don't even want to fight anymore because you just don't care. You're just comfortably numb and indifferent. Ding, red flag, red flag. And the last red flag is fear of failure. Fear of failure. Fear of putting yourself out there because if you fail, you might get hurt and we just don't want to get hurt, so I'm not even going to try. And I know for me, I used to struggle with perfectionism. I still battle that at times. But for a perfectionist, you are not wanting your fear, you're, you're afraid of failing because if I can't do it with excellence or if I can't excel at it, then why bother? I don't want to not look good at something I'm doing. And so it breeds apathy. So fear of failure. So people, if I could boil it all down, what? ever believes people are not worth the effort. And I know that's not in our hearts to want to feel like that, but that's what it is. And so we need to kind of take a look at that. Um, Ellie Weasel, the Holocaust survival, survivor, put it this way, and we've seen this quote before, and it's so powerful, is that the opposite of hate, the opposite of love isn't hate. It's indifference. It's indifference. And that is totally the whatever attitude. But let's just think about God and how he treats us and how he is toward us. I love the song that we sing here at Valley. One of my favorite ones is Reckless Love. I love the line in it that says, because, you know, for you and I, we didn't do anything to pursue God. He was all about pursuing us. And the lines in the song say, there is no lie he won't tear down, no wall he won't kick down, no mountain he won't climb coming after you. And 
And that is God's posture toward you and toward me. That there's nothing that's going to keep him from coming after us and pursuing us and wanting a relationship with us. And God is calling you and I to have that same pursuit of the people that are in our lives with that same intensity. Because the remedy for indifference is choosing to love. And we have to learn how to put our love on because that's what God wants us to do. So let's just wrap up just talking about what to do with the whatever attitude. What do we do if we find that we have a whatever attitude? Because I think if we're honest, we've all struggled with this in the last 22 months. The first one is stop complaining. Stop complaining. Oh my gosh, this is a national pastime in our culture. You can't stand in any checkout line and if you're a conversational person, and you know, start crying. It's all talking with people. It's all about, oh my gosh, can you believe the weather? It is so freezing cold. Do we still have to wear these stinking masks? Can you believe it? I mean, it's about that. It's about, you know, oh, where's all the help? Why is everybody so short staffed? And it's just, it goes on and on. It's just constant complaining. And I think for us, just kind of like, huh, let's just not complain. If we just took inventory of how many things actually come out of our mouth that are complaints. I know I'm guilty of it. Um, but what does God's word say? Because that is our compass. That is what we follow. And God's word says in Philippians 2, 14 through 16, Susie, do nothing. Do everything. I'm sorry. Do everything without complaining. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. God just tells us, stop complaining, stop crying. I've called you to shine like stars in the universe. You can't shine if you're out there complaining. And so we just have to recognize that complaining just takes up so much of our mental space. And instead ask this, God, what are you wanting to do in me that I'm complaining about this, but what is it really hitting on in me that I have a problem with this? And just being able to turn it more of an inner focus thing. The second thing to do, if you find that you have a whatever attitude, is focus on the good. Again, not easy. Not easy for this chick. I tend to be a cup is half empty kind of a person, so I really have to work on finding and focusing on the good. Because it takes intentionality because there's so much negative. There's so many things that we could focus on that are hard and difficult. But we need to focus on the good. When it comes to marriage, what are some things that your spouse is doing that is good? Look at those things. Point those things out to them. For your kids, what is it that you do appreciate about them? And that it's not that they're on your last serve. Like, what is it that you really appreciate? And communicate that. It just takes changing in our mental focus of being able to focus on what is good. What are the opportunities God's providing in the chaos of that office that you're working in? God, there's some good that you're doing here. Help me focus on that. Help me focus on what it is that you want me to bring to this situation. You know, when it comes to focusing on, good, on the good, I think that the Apostle Paul was really like the king of knowing and learning and showing us how to focus on the good. I was doing a little study about him this last week and just some of the things that he endured and how he continued to focus on the good. 
you might not know, the poor man was beaten three times with rods. He was stoned with rocks once. Three times he was shipwrecked. He spent a night and day at sea, probably hanging on to a piece of driftwood after the ship went down, fearing that sharks would come. I know that would be me if I was him. Imprisoned numerous times, ran out of town, bit by a snake. But what got me the most was it said that the Jewish leaders had whipped him five times, 40 minus one. Because 40 was enough to kill somebody. You know, you're hanging over to the post and they're just whipping you with, you know, lashes, whatever. So 39 times he got it, five times. A few times, 195 lashes. The Apostle Paul had 195 lashes on his back. And you know, they didn't just clean him up and give him first aid. No, they threw some dirty robe back in him, threw him in the dungeon, put shackled his feet, no antibiotics, no neospore, nothing. You know, the poor man. And yet, let, look what he said. If anybody could say, the hits just keep coming, it would be the Apostle Paul. And look what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. This is one of my favorite verses. He says, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. <laughs> Talk about focus. Talk about being able to focus on the good when you've endured that kind of hardship. I'm just like, wow, that is perspective. Knowing that even in the hard times of our life, God is working. And so we need to keep that tender heart is our third what to do with a whatever attitude. Keeping a tender heart. Colossians 3.12 says, so, those, so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He's telling us we need to put on love. Like we get up in the morning, we get dressed, and we have to put on our clothes. We need to put on love when we start our day off. And what keeps our heart tender, Valley family? Do you know what are things that keep our heart tender? Spending time in his word, spending time with God's people, the body of Christ, serving each other, being tender and open to the people around us. You know, for me, I try, like I said, that whole over being overstimulated. For me, I try to put myself in other people's shoes. Like, say, for example, like the people who are suffering in Afghanistan right now and they're starving. Instead of being like, oh, yeah, wow, that's awful. Gosh, help them, Lord. I would like put myself in the position, like if I was that mother and my kids were starving and crying because they had no food and, and just what that, like that desperation of what it would be to live there right now. And I just, for me, it's allowing God's compassion because I, I try to imagine and put myself in their shoes that it just stirs compassion in my heart so that when I go to pray for them, I, I pray for feeling. I am dialed in because I have been mentally thinking about them. And so this is what I'm saying, just trying to keep our hearts tender. Think about the, the tornadoes in Kentucky, you know, just like imagining, oh, my gosh, if, if I had no notice and I lost everything and, and family members, like, and just allowing God to tenderize our heart and let compassion stir so that we can truly pray for others, that we can say, God, 
break my heart for what breaks yours because you know as he looks at the suffering that's going on in this world and the evil that's here, his heart breaks. And so as God's people, he chooses for some reason his choice that he moves on earth through the prayers of his people. And so we need to take the time to pray and to be open to God, stirring our heart with compassion so that we can pray for God's power to be released in the situations in our life and in the world. Fourthly, the fourth what to do with a whatever attitude is just to take a step. Just take a step. Maybe as I've been talking, you've been thinking of that person that you've been having the total whatever attitude to. I want to encourage you, take a step toward that person, whatever that looks like for you, take a step. We also have our small groups sign up starting today. If you've dialed out and you haven't been in face-to-face, up close with Valley family, fellow believers, I encourage you, sign up. Get into a small group. Take that step. Sign up to have a mentor. Serve on a dream team. There's so many things even here in in the church that you can do to take that step forward. But whoever in your life that you've been like, take a step toward them. Allow God's love to flow through you. Fifthly is accept your assignment. Accept your assignment. Jesus calls us to be his ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20 puts it this way. So we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. You see, God, when Jesus left this earth, he gave us an assignment to be his representatives, to be his ambassadors, that we represent him to the people that we live with, to the people that we interact with, and that Jesus has given us his authority to share his word, his words, and the kingdom culture that we're about, that we represent. And so if you're a follower of Christ, you're a citizen of heaven, and you have been sent to your family, you've been sent to your friends, you've been sent to that workplace, And you are where you are for his sake. And I know that's a big responsibility. It's a big assignment, especially when we feel like we don't have the energy. But it's our assignment. And God is calling us to that assignment that we are Christ's ambassadors. And the last thing I want to just touch on, what to do with when you have that whatever attitude, is follow the leader. Throughout this series, we've been pointing you back to Jesus pointing back to you, pointing back to Jesus and just saying, he's our example. Follow him because he will show you how to do it. Truth be told, Jesus experienced the same heartache and the same hurt that we experienced. Jesus knows what it's like to have a loved one die. He knows what it's like to be treated unfairly, to be rejected by the people that you thought you loved the most. And no matter where you are right now, Jesus has been there. Jesus, who hung on the cross, was rejected by his friends, despised by his enemies, and yet he said, Father, forgive them. Follow the leader. Over and over in Scripture, our leader looked out on people and had compassion. And he tells us in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. 
So Valley family, I just want to break it down for you. Love God, love people. It really is that simple. And I just want to close with this. You know, when we go through tough times, we have a choice. Do we want to become a reservoir of self-pity? Or do we want to be a channel of, of blessing? But we can block up our channel when we retreat into our shell, when we pull the curtains, when we lock the door and we shut ourselves out. And we do this because it hurts and we just want to say, whatever. But when we focus, when you focus on yourself with a whatever attitude, you magnify your misery. But with God's help, and how many know we need that? With God's help, when you focus on others, you multiply your ministry. God has a ministry for each and every one of us. And we have a choice. We have a choice of we're going to engage. Now, I remember a, a while back, um, I remember being face down in the carpet in our bedroom, just sobbing into the fibers of the carpet. And I think maybe we've all been there, maybe not in the carpet, but we've all been there where our, our heart has just been broken. Our heart has been broken because, you know, in this life, and we've heard it said, hurt people, hurt people. It's just a fact of life. And when we open our lives up in relationship, there's always a risk that, that there could be hurt. And it is a true saying, although I used to hate it, better to have loved and lost than to, have loved and to not have loved at all. But there is better because our Heavenly Father calls us to love. And for me, with just snotting in the carpet and calling out to God, like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to invest anymore in people. I don't want to open my heart up anymore, God. I just, I'm done. Put a fork in her. She's finished. And he just whispered in my heart. A song had just come out back then, and it was from this theologian, Leanne Womack. And I played the song because I'd heard it, and I thought, oh, I'm going back to the song. just felt like he was directing me at it. I hope you dance. And the word to that song says, I hope you never lose your sense of wonder or you get your fill to eat but always hunger. May you never take one single breath for granted. God forbid love ever leave you empty-handed. I hope you still feel small when you stand beside the ocean. When one door closes, one more door will open. Promise me that you'll give faith a fighting chance. And when you get a choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. And then there was this line that just got me. It says, I hope you never fear those mountains in the distance. Never settle for the path of least resistance. Living might mean taking chances, but they're worth taking. Loving might be a mistake, Susie, but it's worth making. Don't let some hell-bent heart leave you bitter. When you come close to selling out, reconsider. Give the heavens more than just a pant more than a, just a passing glance. And when you get a choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. Valley family, I feel like God is calling us to re-engage. He is wanting us to get up and dance, to re-engage in those relationships in our lives. Because, you know, if COVID has taught us anything in these last 22 months, it is just how precious life is and how we only get one chance at this life. 
We're only coming through here once. And he's called you and I to live in this time in history. And he's asking us to live it well. And to do that, we got to dance. We got to stop sitting it out and re-engage. So Valley family, my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that I would put my love on and that we would dance for our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you this morning. God, we need your strength. We need your grace. And God, if we're honest, there's many in this room that we just feel like we are in survival mode. God, we need you. We've allowed apathy to set in and, and we've given in to this whatever attitude. And yet you've called us and commissioned us to love and to serve. Father, you know and we know that we cannot do this on our own. And Father, we just lift our hands to you, our palms up to you and ask that you would give us your divine enablement through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit to be able to push through our apathy and embrace life the way that you meant it for us to live it. And Father, we thank you that you have called for us to live in such a time as this. And may we be found faithful and that the people who are coming behind us will point to us and say they love their God and they love us. So, Father, we just thank you for that. We ask a blessing now on the Valley family. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.